You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hey, good morning, you guys. Hey. Hey, uh, how many of you grew up in the Midwest? How many? Two of you. This, this illustration is going to fall completely flat, but I'm going to do it anyway because I got nothing else. Uh, hey, so here, here's what I was reading about. Uh, maybe you guys have heard about this. People in the Midwest, bear with me. Uh, you probably have, have gone through this. Did you, have you guys ever heard of uh, like the blinding snowstorms? I didn't know these existed. Did you know these existed? Where like, uh, I, you know, on the East Coast I grew up uh, and we don't have them. But I guess in the Midwest, especially like places like South Dakota or North Dakota, whatever, the snow is so bad that you literally cannot see the hand in front of your face. Like, literally. I didn't know this, right? So I'm reading about this, and it's crazy. Um, So farmers, especially 60, 70 years ago, they would go from their house to their barn, which was only like 100 yards away, and they would die. It's like awful, because they would get lost. The snow would be so blinding, be so hard to see, that they wouldn't know where to go. And so they'd like literally walk around in circles around their property and they would die. That's awful. There's one story about a farmer who, who went out of one of these blinding snowstorms and literally passed away, literally died just five feet from his front door. Could not see. Could not see. So you know what happened? About 60, 70 years ago, farmers got wise. And they said, you know what? When we hear that one of these blizzards are going to come, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do this, this simple thing. We're going to take a rope. We're going to tie it to our, the front door of our house. And we're going to tie the other end to the barn so that we need to go to the barn and check on livestock we hold the rope. Technology, right? Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. And so that's what they started doing. And, and it, you know, obviously, like, it cut down drastically on death. It's a simple, simple thing. I'm going to take a rope and I'm going to tie it and then tie it to another side. Cut down on deaths drastically. So I was reading about this. And what does this have to do with church? Uh, listen, if you have come to this church before um, and, you, and we know each other, then you know that I'm a little bit skeptical. You know that, that I'm, I'm, I confess up here often that I'm pretty skeptical in the way I believe and, and skeptical in my faith. Uh, I confess about that a lot. And some of you guys know that I, I, uh, I left the church for like seven years. I, I didn't want anything to do with it. I left. Uh, and, and so when I came back, when I came back to the church, I came back like sort of with a chip on my shoulder. And, and what, what I would do is I would say, you know what, it, people who told me uh, that things like, like reading your Bible daily, like making sure you had your daily quiet time, people that told me that was good, I sort of recoiled on that because I was like, that to me feels a little bit legalistic and it sounds like you're trying to get yourself to heaven by doing something like that. Why would you do that? And then people who told me they prayed at like certain times in the day, I was like, that's ridiculous. I don't want to hear about that. This is stale. This is old. It sounds like you're following rules just to get to heaven. And that's sort of the approach I took on it. And what I realized very quickly, very quickly, I realized that, that these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines, this reading of scripture, the prayers, centering, silence, the way we rest, the way we work, the way we have relationships, these disciplines are our ropes. They're our ropes. They're the things that fix us. They're the things that keep us from being lost in the middle of storms. And so I went from being like, no, I don't want any of that. It's legalistic. It's rule following to going, I need this. So I don't end up being spiritually dead somewhere. And it's so close to home. 
so close to the front door. I need this. And so when I was thinking about what I would say to our church, I've, I've heard you guys say some similar things. I've heard you say, like, listen, I want to pray. I don't know how to pray. Every time I try to pray, I, I, like, see a bird fly by, and I just look at that instead. And then I've heard others of you who are like, oh, I want to read Scripture, and I want to read it well. I just don't know where to begin or how to start or what to do. And others of you that are like, I don't have any space in my life for God right now. What do I do? And so we're doing this series called Rhythms. And this series called Rhythms is here for one reason and one reason only. We're going to start tying some ropes. Okay, we're going to start tying some ropes that get us fixed, that get us to where we are safe in the middle of life storms, okay? And so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about prayer, okay? And here's what we need to know about prayer. I love what this theologian, Robert Barron, says. Uh, um, he says this. He says, original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm of prayer for our lives, Sin is the refusal to accept the original sin. Uh, the, the original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm for our lives, and that rhythm is a rhythm of prayer. And so, I got to ask you today. Let's start off, and I'm going to start off by just saying real quickly: in 25 minutes, prayer is so huge. I'm not going to get to everything. I promise you. All right, but I do want to hear what do you think of when you think of prayer? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What do you think of when you think of prayer? Tell me. Talking to God. What do you think of when you think of prayer? Eyes closed. What else? Quiet. Quiet. What else? Relating to God where our heart is. What else? Anything else? Is it exciting to anybody? Is it frustrating to anybody? <laughs> Lauren was like, yup. It was and is. Yeah, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to us? Is it difficult for us to pray? I, I said before it's hard for us to pray. I said um, some people struggle with praying out loud. Who struggles with praying out loud? Who's afraid to do that? Right, who struggles with praying in their head because of the bird thing that I said earlier? Who has prayed desperately for something to happen in their lives and it hasn't happened? Who has prayed uh, and wondering if God is even listening? It's difficult. I see a lot of hands just going up in a bunch of different places. Prayer is prayer's an interesting thing. It's a difficult thing. And the thing is, uh, we're not alone in this, everybody. Okay, we, we, we are part of a group of people that have been asking the question about prayer for the past couple thousand years. A couple thousand years, people are like, I don't know how to do this prayer thing. What does it mean to actually talk to God? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And it's changing, and it's evolving. And, and what Jesus does, when Jesus comes along, Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give you a rope, okay? And this isn't a rope for just this one point in culture. This is a rope for all time. This is going to get you to a place where you are ready. You're ready to see me at work. You're ready to live life. You're ready to confess in good ways, and you're ready to receive in good ways, okay? And so he does this. Uh, during uh, this time in scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you guys have your uh, iPhone apps or whatever, turn to Matthew 5 and 6. We're going to look at Matthew 5 and 6. I would say go to Matthew 6 first. I got to tell you, I'm going to be honest. Sermon on the Mount for me is by far my favorite, my favorite set of passages in all of scripture. Okay? Argue, arguably speaking. All right? You want to find out what Christianity is all about, what Jesus is all about? Read this. Okay? Read the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody went there and they said that... Um, um, where they, they, to where they think Jesus spoke, and they said it looks like an amphitheater. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, so it's sort of like this amphitheater. So thousands of people were there, okay? And Jesus is basically telling people, this is what life looks like now. And he's saying things like this. He's going, you have heard it said this, but I'm going to tell you this. 
So he's changing the way people think. People are going, Jesus, are you twisting scripture? Is that what you're doing? Jesus goes, no, I'm not here to to abolish the law that you've read before. I'm here to fulfill the prophets and the law. I'm making this a lasting thing. I'm fixing ropes. I am tying ropes. And this was blowing people's minds, okay? The only way I can really describe this to you is Jesus was basically like, it was magic. Like, like really, like legitimately. Like it was, it was like, have you guys ever been to a magic show? Have you ever? Uh, what do you guys do when the person disappears and they make somebody disappear? What do you guys do? And then everybody goes, hey, yeah, you see that? Right, that's what we do. Now, what if you guys went to the magic show and the magician legitimately made somebody disappear? What would you do? Would you go, oh, yeah, oh. You'd be like, oh, my God, that person's gone. Where are they? And you would do one of two things. You would say, I either, somebody call the police. This person just made somebody leave existence. And then another side of you would be going, this person is, is something different, and I don't know what to make of them right now, but I need to stick around and find out what this person's about because they did something that is blowing my mind. That's what Jesus is doing with the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, that's the reaction that people are having. That's why it's happening so strongly, okay? And so, during the Sermon on the Mount, people say to Jesus, Jesus, how do you pray? What do you do? What does prayer look like? And Jesus says this. I'll read it for you. He says, uh, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they, will be, they, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Now, Jesus is speaking directly to the culture right now. Okay, there's two things that are going on in Jesus' time that we need to know about. Uh, the first uh, is that uh, if you were a teacher of the law, if you were a Hebrew teacher of the law, a Pharisee, you would come out of the temple. And when you came out of the temple, you would legitimately do this. You would come out. You'd stand around. Dust yourself off a little bit. You'd look, make sure everybody was watching you. And then you would start praying and legitimately you would be like, Oh, God, dear Jesus! And you would cry and you would weep and you would wail. And then every so often you would open your eyes and see if people were paying attention to you. Like that was happening, okay? And that's how people thought you should pray. Those were the teachers of the law. So he's saying, don't pray out loud like these guys. Go into the room. Go into a room and do that junk. That's what he was saying. And then there's another group of people on this side. And, and the Roman Empire was huge. It was vast. And there were so many gods in the Roman Empire. And so you had other people who were coming out, and they were coming out to the public, and they were going, Dear Jesus, dear Zeus, dear Athena, dear Molech, dear Superman, dear, like just on and on and on. The reason they were doing that is because in the Roman Empire and the culture at the time, they were like, some God has to listen to me. One of these gods is going to do what I need them to do. And Jesus is saying, don't babble on like pagans. Don't babble on like people who don't know who God is. It's manipulative. Praying that way is self-serving. It is praying for yourself. And I'm going to tell you right now, friends, we are manipulative in the way we pray. Some of us are manipulative. Um, How are we manipulative in the way we pray? How are we self-serving in the way that we pray? Have you ever prayed um, and thought it wasn't long enough and then prayed some more? Be honest. Who did that? That's manipulative prayer. That's self-serving prayer. That's not you saying, God, you're amazing. That's saying, God, you're some good luck charm, and if I pray this many seconds, I'm going to get what I want. How many people uh, pray for every single person that they know? I have a family member who prays for every single person that they We go on for days. 
days. That's manipulative prayer. It's like God's sitting up there and he's going, well, you didn't, are you going to say that person? Oh, good, you said that person. Now I can bless them because otherwise I couldn't. That's manipulative. That's manipulative prayer. That's self-serving prayer. How many people get mad at themselves when they don't pray? That's manipulative. That's self-serving. That God, you follow some rule, and God, you follow that rule, God's going to be happy, and if you don't follow it, God's mad at you. That's, that's manipulative. How many people uh, pray for all the, only their hopes and successes? How many people? I'm going to confess something to you. I think I've said it to you all before. I pray for parking spots. I do. I feel like that's just so wrong of me. Um, but it's manipulative, right? It's self-serving. If I was only praying for parking spots, I mean, God can do what God can do, right? God's infinite. But if I'm only praying for parking, that's manipulative. We're manipulative when we're praying for the avoidance of pain. And we don't want pain. And there are times when we can pray for the avoidance of pain. Jesus prayed for the avoidance of pain, but I am a firm believer that we grow in this Christianity thing when we go through pain. So more often than not, I wonder if we just pray to endure it. That's manipulative when we don't. So here's what Jesus says. He says, don't pray manipulatively. Don't do it. If you're going to pray, pray this way. And then he says this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what everybody that would have been there, the thousands of people that would have been listening to the Sermon on the Mount, you know what they would have done? They would have been like, so? You know why? Because they were praying that prayer three times a day already. That prayer that I just prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your your kingdom come, your will be done, earth as it is in heaven. They would have been like, why are you telling us to do that? We pray that three times a day. It's part of our law. It's called the Kaddish. Anybody who follows Jewish law still prays the Kaddish three times a day. This would have been nothing to them. Want to hear the Kaddish? Want to hear what it is? This is the Kaddish. Our Father who's in the heavens, may your name be sanctified. May your kingdom come. May your purpose come into being. Just as in heaven, so also upon the earth. Huh. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Did you guys know you were praying a Jewish prayer? You know you were praying the Kaddish? Jesus says, yeah, you do it three times a day, and you do it to yourself, and you do it to remember. It was a prayer of remembrance. In, in, in Jewish culture, it's a prayer to remember one thing and one thing only. It is a prayer to remember the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. That's what this prayer is for. It is a prayer to remember. It is a love letter to God. How many people have written a love letter? I guess just me and Jen. Um, it takes a long time. My wife, my wife lived in China for 10 months when we were dating. And I would write, and it would take me so long because I wanted to get the words right. I wanted to get everything right. And like I would start over again and like, I just want to tell her exactly how I felt and everything else. And my wife told me she would get it and she liked it, you know. But it took me like three hours to write it and she would read it in about six minutes. And then she'd be like, that was nice. And she'd put it away. Because here's the truth. Who's received a love letter? Okay. You've probably read it before, right? But you're not sitting there for hours pouring over every single word when you read the love letter, are you? You, you go, oh, this is, wow, this is really good. Then you put it in a shoebox to read for later or something, right? So when you do that, you're writing a love letter to God. That's what you're doing. It's not for God. It's for you. It's for you to remember. God is up there going, hey, 
I'm here. And you go, God, hallowed be your name. You're holy. Your kingdom come. What you're doing is so incredible. It's so infinite that, that this, I want this to happen here on earth. And God goes, I hear you. I know. I'm God. It's for you. It's for you to remember. So Jesus says, you want to learn how to pray where it's going to change your mind, where it's going to fix a rope, where it's going to keep you safe. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Pray it. Pray it for you, not for God. And then Jesus throws this in. He says, and give us today our daily bread. Now he's completely shifting, and this would have caused people to gasp when they were hearing it. Because what he's doing now is he's saying uh, to people, hey, I know, and I said this to you guys before, he's, he's saying to people, hey, I know that when you go to Jerusalem to sell your grain, I know you've been working the whole year, and you get up to Jerusalem, and a tax collector comes and takes 50% for Herod, and then 20% for Caesar, and then 10% for himself. So before you can even sell anything, 80% of what you have is gone. I know that. And I know you're dying and you're starving because of it. And so when you say, give us this day our daily bread, there's some truth to this. This is scary. We're dying here in the midst of this Roman Empire. But, Jesus is saying, I think, in this, but in this prayer we confront one of our greatest sins. Here's one of our greatest sins. You want to hear it? One of our greatest sins is continually and constantly looking ahead with worry and anxiety. That is one of our greatest sins. He's saying we confront one of our greatest sins. One of our greatest sins is worrying. How many people uh, sit in bed like I do? And, and you sit in bed and you go, I have enough money for this month, but next month I don't know if I have enough, and so i got to do X, Y, and Z, and we sit there and we can't fall asleep. How many of us go, you know what, uh, right now I'm in a good spot, but, but maybe three months down the road with my job, I might have to start looking for something new. Let me update my LinkedIn profile and make sure everything's all right and do all this, right? Right now, I'm in a good spot in my relationship, but six months down the road, I might not be. I don't, I don't know where I'm going to live, and I don't know exactly how this is all going to look. And so I'm not saying that we don't plan. I'm saying that one of our greatest sins is worry and anxiety about what our future is going to look like. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus says, hey, you see the lilies of the field? You see the birds of the air? They don't care. God takes care of them. They're not worrying. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus is saying, you want to pray? Pray that God helps you to live in today. Pray that God helps you to live with yourself today. Pray that prayer. Father, I love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. That's for me. I pray that you help me live with myself today. Because what I want to do is look ahead and worry and get all scared about what's going on. Don't let me do that. And forgive my debts. Because you know what the other biggest sin is? One of our biggest sins is the constant worry and anxiety about looking ahead. One of our other biggest sins is being defined by what we've done behind. That's our other biggest sins. Forgive us our debt. How many people feel defined by what they've done in their past? There's somebody at our church, and they came up to me, and they said, Jonathan, I'm leaving the church. And I said, why? And they said, I'm leaving the church because um, I did something that I did a little while ago, and I think some people at the church found out about it, and now I just I can't bear to show my face here any longer. And it broke my heart, like legitimately broke my heart. And I was like, if there's one thing about this Christianity thing, one thing that you need to know, it doesn't matter what you did back there. Back there does not define you. And if there's one thing you need to know about the Christian community, we are unified when we say, I see that one thing you did back there, and it doesn't define you. And Jesus says, you want to fix a rope? You want to be spiritually strong in the midst of a storm? Pray this. Pray that you can live with yourself today and then learn to forgive yourself, to love yourself today. You are not defined by what happened in your past. 
Forgive your debts as you forgive the debts of others. What's he saying? Don't let other people define your past. I was hurt by this person and now I'm defined by it. There was a messy breakup and now I'm defined by it. There's pain in my life that that came from my family member and now I'm defined by that. And Jesus says, forgive them because what happens when you forgive them is that it doesn't heal them, it actually heals you. That's what's actually going on. You want to pray? Pray the Kaddish. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Write that love letter. Then pray this. God, help me to live with and love myself today so that I can live with and love others well. That's basically what he's saying. Help me live with and love myself today so that I can live with and love others well. And lead me not into temptation. Don't push me forward. Don't push me backward. Help me live with myself today and love myself today so I can live with and love others well. And this prayer, this simple prayer, this simple four-line prayer blows people's minds. This simple four-line prayer changes the way people think about life. It causes them to live in a completely new and different way, a way of freedom, a way of remembering and I'm going to ask us to pray this way to, for today. In fact, I'm going to ask you to pray this way this week. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to pray the Kaddish. Keep it on your lips. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. You are so incredible. You can do it infinitely and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine that I want to see that happen here on earth. Pray that this week. And if you want to write the love letter, if you're in a small group, if you want to do it, write the love letter. Write it down. Jesus, I'm going to articulate to you exactly what's going to happen. And sometimes love letters, are, are the, 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 when you really love somebody, they look more like breakup letters. They're kind of angry and upset. You can write those too. It's okay. Write it. You need a, 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 something to look at? Go read the Psalms in your Bible. They're filled with love letters to God. The angry ones and the good ones. Write the Kiddush. Write your love letter. For you, not for God. And then this week, pray this prayer over and over again. Lord... Let me live with myself and love myself today so that I can live with and love others well. It's that simple. Here's what I promise isn't going to happen. I promise you, you're not going to know whether or not God is answering prayer for sure. I promise you, you're probably going to struggle still to pray out loud. I promise you that, that your prayer life isn't going to change overnight, but when it's on your lips, when you remember it and you keep it on your lips, then you start to believe it. And when it's on your lips and you start to believe it, then you start to live it. And when you start to live it, you actually begin to change. You actually begin to change. And you create this rope that allows you to be a part of something that started 2,000 years ago where people were shocked by what they saw. And it changed them. And it changes us. It changes our future. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. You're amazing and infinite. And so we pray that that amazingness, that that unimaginable, what you do would come here to earth. God, help me to love myself today. Help me to live with myself today. Not looking ahead and not looking backward, but today in your presence. That I might live with and love others well. Help me to do that. 
Lead me no other way, God. Lead me no other way. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.